Hey, Julie. Hey, Lisa. How's it going? It's going well. How about you? Happy February. Happy February. I love the joke. January was a really long year. <laughs> it was. Wasn't it the longest Absolutely. month ever? Yeah. Yep. But here we are. We're in February. So new month. Yeah. Um, I heard that the ground, wait, did Puxitani Phil see a shadow? I, I did not even follow along. I think whatever happened, what's, what's with, if he sees it, does that mean then the six, four, I, months, I think six, there's four weeks six, of winter. I, yeah, I, I don't know. I have to look okay. it up. I, I was not on the top of my list of things to check yesterday. I, I will admit the only thing I remember is that apparently like the groundhog they used died. And I'm just like, well, that yes, comes up 2022. <laughs> the groundhog that is used consistently for Groundhog's Day died. So yeah, and hashtag 2022. <laughs> he saw his shadow. He saw right. his shadow. Six right. more weeks of winter is on its way. Punxsutawney Phil made his prediction around 7.25 a.m. on Wednesday. So All right. Yep. Um, there we go. Well, how fitting. I don't think I can our- handle six more weeks. I don't think I can handle six more weeks of winter. Not at, not at the rate of four. The last four weeks went by. Sorry, I'm just, I'm done. I can't do it. So you know it's bad when this, this morning I went out for um, my run, and it was the only time I could fit in today. So it was super dark, cold, and early, and it was raining. And that's normally pretty much a no go for me. And as I was running in the dark, cold rain, I was like, oh, it's kind of nice. It's not that cold out. That's how low the bar is. Yeah. Yeah. Because it was 40 degrees today, which is like a heat wave here. So yes. 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 So while we (laughs) encourage our runners to run in all conditions, because you never know what race day is going to be, let's be honest, you know, if we can move things around a little bit and avoid running and freezing rain, that's a great thing. And I was relieved this morning that it was just a, just a consistent rain, but not a freezing rain. Yeah. What's that say about a little bit memories? Memories of Boston 2018, just a little bit. Just a little. Quick pitch for yeah. um, my run mitts that you actually ordered me for Hanukkah. Thank you very much. I have, I've always had the double fleece run mitts, but you had ordered me for Hanukkah the um, run mitts that have a, they're more of a, like a weatherproof, um, I forget the exact name, but they're, they're not the double fleece. They're the ones that have like kind of a rain, snow um, protection on them. And they're a little bit lighter weight, um, but I wore them on my run today. And wow, they kept my hands totally dry and totally warm. And they were the saving grace of my run today. So thank you very much. And just another plug for run mitts, our favorite, one of our favorite winter, winter gears, winter pieces of gear. Um, and it, it was great. Oh, that's so good to know. Yeah. So in the show notes, like every week we have a code for run mitts. So use the code to get 10% off. Um, so yeah, I was just going to say, speaking of weather, we're, we're scheduled to have our monthly run from Lululemon for those who are local from downtown crown in Gaithersburg at 9am this Saturday, February 4th. We're very much looking forward to it. We anticipate the weather will be fine, but we are sort of watching the forecast, there is a chance that there may be some freezing rain, i.e. ice on the ground. And if that's the case, we will not be running, um, doing a group run on ice. So just uh, for those planning on going, check Facebook and Instagram that morning. We'll make an announcement on on both social media platforms and Twitter if we are canceling. Um, We expect, again, the run to happen, but just in the unlikely event, there is a sheet of ice on the ground. We will certainly announce that. But we're looking forward to seeing new and returning faces. It's free. It's fun. 30 to 60 minutes. 
Um, typically the store has been very generous with giving out goodies after the run. So come and uh, see us or see Lululemon. So we'd love for you to join us. Yeah. So, and tonight we have, um, this is Thursday, we're, we're recording on Thursday and tonight we have a coaching call or February coaching call uh, with runners to uh, kind of discuss and just review some fundamentals on uh, winter training and particularly, um, and I think a lot of us are facing this kind of the ups and downs or the starts and stops of winter training that maybe because of weather, maybe because of illness or COVID and how to make sure that you re-enter training uh, safely. And we are thrilled to welcome our special guest tonight, Rachel Miller, who many have heard her um, on our podcast before, and we've talked about her a lot, but she is the um, owner of Pro Action Physical Therapy, and she will be joining us this evening to talk to our runners about injury prevention and just making sure um, that we're smart about our training through winter and staying healthy as we start to ramp up our mileage. So looking forward to that because it's always nice to see, even though it's virtual, we get to see lots of faces on our Zoom and it's kind of, you know, it's a fun, fun way to connect with everybody. Absolutely. It's also good because our runners live all over the place and not having necessarily someone to run with and commiserate by saying, oh, I feel I'm behind or the weather's really interrupted my training and just being able to collaborate as a group and knowing everyone's in the same boat, even if you're training for different things. Everyone who lives at least in the Northeast, the Midwest has had some sort of interruption in training. And if it's not because of weather, then it's because of Omicron. And I know I've talked about this and I'm getting back into the groove myself. I'm back to running, but I'm certainly not even close to where I quote unquote should be at this point in my training for Boston, but I'm just living with it, knowing that I have an accumulation of miles over many training cycles. And the worst thing I can do is jump back into my schedule where it's supposed to be and injure myself because I've ramped up too much. So that's one of the many things we'll be talking about tonight. And you and I will do a coaching podcast soon and talk about that. We just, we just want everybody to get to the start lines healthy after this winter. That is our goal, healthy and ready to race. And, um, you know, these are the things that we can do now to prevent those injuries from popping up in about a month or two. Yep. And actually speaking of which our, our guest that we have on up next, um, talks a little bit about, uh, training for Boston and getting to Boston on very abbreviated training and trusting in that um, base that you have, uh, that, that will get you there and that there is not always a perfect training cycle and maybe a perfect trajectory to get you to Boston. And she had something, you know, very similar. So, um, so she's gonna, she's gonna talk about that. So you want to introduce our guest or talk about our guest? Yeah. Her name's Karen Dunn. She's fantastic. So Karen has a great story. Like our guest last week, Karen is an Olympic trials qualifier. She qualified at age 43 and uh, she ran in Atlanta in 2020. And she talks all about her road to the Olympic trials. But what we loved about Karen's story is that she really accomplished a lot in the five years that she was marathoning. So she's someone who's essentially run for all of her life, but she didn't start specifically marathon running until 2017. And wow, she really uh, did a lot between 2017 and today. And it was really interesting to hear her story. And Karen is also a coach and she talks a lot about what she implements in her training to stay injury free. And we really enjoyed speaking with her. This is a long interview. Um, but it's a lot of great nuggets of information. We really enjoyed talking with Karen. We learned a lot from her and we know that um, our listeners will too. So uh, definitely listen and take notes. And uh, we'll put some, a couple of things she mentioned in our show notes as well uh, as reference. So Lisa, I hope that you 
Have a great week. I look forward to seeing you again tonight on our call. See you in a few hours and hopefully on Saturday. Fingers crossed the weather cooperates. Fingers crossed. All right. Take care, Lisa. Bye. You too. Have a great day. See you later. Karen Dunn, welcome to the Run Farther and Faster podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Yes. Thanks for having me. So we wanted to get started and introduce you to our listeners. So um, please go ahead and share with us uh, where you're from, how long you've been running, and a little bit about your running background. Okay. Um, So my name is Karen Dunn. I am, um, well, I've I've been running since seventh grade, really. And uh, I just figured out on a run the other day that I am not 44 anymore. I am now 45 and have been probably for about six months. But it was a little sad that on my run, I figured this out. But at the same time, I was thinking, I'm like, all right, so how could I have lived for six months and not have known that I'm 45 now, right? It kind of was like a little damper um, in my spirit there. But I was like, at the same time, you know, maybe that's what keeps me going because age is just a number, right? So, um, you know, I really don't think about how old I am when I'm out there training. I just think about, you know, where I want to get to and what that next goal is and really fight for it and go after it, no matter what the age is, no matter what the number is. Um, so I kind of thought maybe that's what keeps me going. Um, but yeah, I've been running since seventh grade. Um, did I started track um, in seventh grade. And, and then I remember when I got into, I guess it's eighth grade, uh, the cross country coach and cross country team from high school came over to one of our last track meets and pulled me aside afterwards and said, oh, we really want you to join the cross country team. You know, since you're going to be moving up into ninth grade into the high school next year, you should train with us over the summer and do cross country in the fall. I had no idea at the time what cross country was and, you know, three miles sounded like a lot, but they seemed like a really great group of people. So I'm like, why not? Let's, let's give it a shot. Um, but that's really where I think my love for running started. I had one of the best coaches ever who I'm still friends with. Um, he had just really changed my life, I think for the better and put me on a positive track. You know, I think being involved in sports is just so positive for, for any kid. So, you know, being able to have a great coach and mentor like that growing up, um, you know, through those really critical years, right, as a teenager, um, has steered me in a, an awesome direction, you know. And then from there, I guess my junior year, I started getting letters from colleges offering scholarships for running. Uh, I started visiting some schools and putting some applications in, and I settled on going to Lock Haven University. It's a university of Pennsylvania. Um, it's out in central Pennsylvania. Love that area. Still love that area and go up there frequently um, to visit and enjoy the outdoors there. It's beautiful, beautiful part of our state here in Pennsylvania. And so I, I went there on a running scholarship. They didn't 
offer me quite as much as some other schools that, um, you know, it offered me a full ride. But hey, when you're 18 years old, you don't always make the best decisions for the rest of your life. Looking back, you know, maybe I should have went with one of those full rides and um, gone to a different school. But they had the um, the sports medicine and athletic training program that I was interested in, and they were really well known for it. So that's why I decided on Lock Haven. Um, <clears throat> And I didn't end up going the route of an athletic trainer in sports medicine. Um, I changed my major to outdoor recreation, <laughs> um, but love it. I'm still very much an outdoor enthusiast. Uh, love to, you know, go hiking and enjoy the woods with my family and my kids. Um, so that's a little bit of background on my college, you know, growing up and into college and, um, you know, then it evolved into after college, I, I took some time off and, um, because I was always so serious about running through high school, you know, friends were going to the movies on a Friday night. I was getting in bed early, making sure that my race uniform was laid out for the next morning. <laughs> So I didn't really get to relax and enjoy all that time with friends that other people who didn't do sports were able to do. So after college, took some time off, um, just relaxed a bit. And then I, you know, it was probably about two, two years or more. And then I just started doing it again, very socially, very slowly, just, you know, wanting to feel what it felt like again and just enjoy it. Um, and just stay active. But very quickly that evolved into, oh, well, here's a running group in your area. Everyone in that running group runs marathons. So I was destined to run a marathon at some point if I was hanging out with them. So um, that's eventually what happened. And, you know, we all kind of trained together towards a, a particular marathon. And I was I always said I wanted to run Boston one day. It was always like a bucket list item, even when I was in high school. And I didn't even know what it was, to be honest, but I knew I wanted to run it. <laughs> um, so training with this group, I'm like, all right, well, I'll do one marathon. Actually, I'll do two. I'll do one and qualify for Boston, and then I'll run Boston. And then that's it for the marathons, right? Because that's a long distance. I don't want to have to do it too often. <laughs> so if you thought three miles was, if you thought three miles was, was far when you're in high school, um, yeah. sounded, sounded, uh, insurmountable. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I remember how I felt after that first marathon, I did qualify, um, and I couldn't walk for a long time after. So I think we all know that cowboy walk after, you finish and then the next couple of days you really can't do stairs you know Absolutely. that's when you want that that chair you know that's attached to the railing and just takes you up the stairs and back down again they chair need lift. for runners <laughs> which marathon was your first marathon steamtown and scram oh great yeah yeah what was your finish time i at, believe at it was 316 wow yeah what year was your first Boston then? That must have been 2000. 
I, you know, I'm so bad with years. <laughs> I need to write this stuff down. But I think my first Boston then was, it must have been 2016. I think that sounds more like it. Because I think my first marathon then was back in 2015. Right. That's probably more accurate. But don't quote me on it. <laughs> so you took, you, you took a significant amount of time off then between not running and then going to marathoning because after college, you said you took a break. How long was that break? And when, when did you start running seriously with the group and deciding to do the marathon? So I would say 2000, between 2000 and 2002, I really wasn't doing a whole lot of running, maybe a little bit, but more so it was hiking. I would do a little bit of mountain biking, um, not really running or strength training or anything like that. Um, and I lived out in Colorado and then I moved back to Pennsylvania in 2002. And then when I moved back here, that's when I slowly started getting back into things. Um, so it was actually more than a two year break. I, I probably picked it up again. Uh, I'm trying to think it was probably more of maybe almost a five year break. And again, it was, you know, just very slow starting, um, on my own. But once I found this, this group that I ended up running with, um, you know, there's where things really pretty quickly advanced, you know, from like a six or a five mile run to, Hey, we're going 12 tomorrow. And I was so excited. I'm like, Oh, I haven't done 12 since college, but I know I can do it. And I, I did, you know, of course, back at the time, it was, you know, stupid thing to do, <laughs> but I, I did, I showed up, I ran 12 and I felt like my hip flexors were going to pop. Um, it was just, you know, not a good thing by the end of the run, but I got it done. I did it. <laughs> I didn't walk. So um, that's that mental tenacity. I think that just keeps you going. Yeah. So how did your, how did your experience running through high school and college, did that translate at all other than, I mean, it sounds like some of the grit and the tenacity um, that you had from that probably translated, but how, what else did you carry anything over from your coaches from high school and college into your training or did, were you kind of just following what the group did? What did, how did, how did your running in your younger years translate to that training for, for the marathon when you were older? Um, so I would say training for the marathon. I mean, I, I, there was uh, a gentleman in our group who, you know, was a a coach at the time. So he kind of took the reins to develop a, um, loose plan for the group that we all kind of followed. And so, you know, I was loosely following along. In fact, I don't know if they knew how much I was actually following the plan because I would do some runs on my own and, you know, it included speed work and such. And I think after everyone had completed the training and was ready to, to race, that's when I had the conversation with them, like, oh yeah, I did all those workouts. And, you know, they were a little surprised. They didn't know I was following along as closely as I did. Um, so I, I don't think necessarily that high school and college played into that again, I was really kind of following along what he had structured for us and then filling in the gaps with, you know, the other runs and such to, to bring the weekly mileage to where, where it seemed right for me, where it fit, where it felt good. 
And at that time, it was, I may be saying this wrong, but I would say it's probably anywhere between 40 and 50. If I hit 60, that was a lot um, for me back then. So it was probably more like 40 to 50 miles a week. Um, and then I ran the Steamtown, qualified for Boston. Um, and then, you know, after that, I was like, all right, well, let's, you know, Boston seemed to be a thing then that all of a sudden I wanted to do every year. So um, I'm like, all right, well, let's, let's train for Boston and do it again next year. So it just kind of wind fell into, um, you know, one training session after another and, you know, one successful training cycle upon another, you start to, to get faster. And as you build that fitness and you get faster, it starts to just become its own motivation for you, you know, seeing like, wow, well, if I can do that, then what else can I do? So let's keep going. And, you know, at that point, then I, I became interested in coaching, which is really kind of something I've always wanted to do anyway. Um, but I went forward and got my um, certifications for it, as well as, um, you know, I was teaching classes, the why. So I was also certified for, for fitness and personal training. So I really started to get into the fitness field. I was teaching eight classes a week at, you know, two or three different facilities. Um, I was teaching Les Mills Brit. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but it's like a 30 minute hit training. Yes. Yeah. I'm a cycle instructor too. I was was a cycle instructor pre-pandemic as well. So I know all about sprint. Yeah. Yes. Yep. So sprint, I was also certified in, which is, um, the hit training on the bike, another Les Mills class. And so I feel like that fitness, um, arena there of teaching the classes and building strength and whatnot there that I think has translated into my marathons, right? Like just, especially that hit training was so it just created, um, such an athletic body, you know, I felt strong, I felt lean and athletic. And I believe that that really helped my running. Um, but then from there, you know, I started not only teaching classes, actually my classes started to kind of dwindle down and I started to pick things up in the gym. So after class, I would go down to the gym and do some heavy strength training. And, you know, even to this day, I'm continuing to do heavy strength training. So getting in the squat rack and throwing on 45 pound plates or more and just lifting heavy weight with lower reps. Um, you know, single leg deadlifts with the landmine, um, using the trap bar. So really loading it up, um, even split squats with when I was in peak shape before my OTQ, I probably had a 30 to 35 pound weight in each hand to do split squats. I know that's impressive. I even look back, I'm like, how did I do that? (laughs) So I'm not in that same shape right now, but certainly something I feel like, you know, I'm trying to build back to right now. So, um, let let me ask you this before we continue with your trajectory with strength training, since you brought it up when you are balancing all that mileage and you're also doing your heavy lifting, uh, when do you do your strength training? Do you do it on the same day as a harder run or do you do it on a different day? So, it's changed. I used to do it on the same day 
as a, a harder, longer effort. Um, you know, and on those days, they were hard days. I was probably burning like up to 4,000 calories a day. Um, I mean, it was a lot of work and I was tired by the end of the day, but I'm very driven intrinsically. So I felt like, you know, just get in there, get it done. And then you can just go home, get that shower and relax and eat all the food. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but it's changed. So there was something inside me that said, you know, this is a lot of work for one day. This doesn't quite feel right. But at the time, you know, all the research and everyone had always said, you want to extend your recovery time. So you want to do your strength training the day of your hard workout. Um, so I, that's what I did, but it still didn't quite feel right. And I knew that until like maybe two years later, um, one of the coaches I had had said, you know, research currently is now indicating that especially, and especially for women, and I've heard this through a Stacey Sims podcast as well, that you should strength train the day after. So I started doing it now the day after, and it feels so much better, right? Like you just, I feel so much more effective. I feel like I can lift the weights just more effectively. I feel stronger. Um, and even though my recovery time might be a little shortened, you know, I use nutrition, protein to really help me recover faster um, and other tools too. But um, yeah, it just feels so much better now to do it the day after. And that's what I tell my athletes to do too. Yeah. And you don't feel that the lifting then impacts your next run. You're okay by your next run. Because sometimes we see that if we, you know, shift the, you know, like you said, getting it all in in one day, and you've got the recovery before your next run. Now you kind of have something in between those two runs. Do you feel like it translates to your run or is the next run kind of an easy run? Are you spacing out the, you know, the workouts from the, from the lifting? Um, so the workouts don't change. Those are always going to be the Monday, Saturday. So, you know, that way my body adapts and gets used to that. And then I plan strength training around those workouts. So if I'm doing speed work on Wednesday and Saturday, I'll do strength on Thursday and Sunday. Um, and when I was doing it on the same day, the next day's run to your point, to your question, the next day's run would be pretty slow and feel terrible. But now that I'm actually facing it out and I do my strength training after the run always, because the focus is on running, um, the run feels so much better, so much better, even the day after you know, and once in a while, I really like to get a good spirited run in there. That's probably a more moderate effort outside of those two quality sessions. Um, I like to do that at least once a week on a day where I'm feeling good, but it's not the day right before a workout, you know, I won't ever just unwind, um, and, you know, do some super fast miles if it's the day before a workout, but you know, if it's the day after and I'm not tired then from that strength training, it allows me to also get a nice moderate pace to run in there. Right. And are you, um, because you have the background and obviously as a trainer, are you coming up with your own strength routines or is, do you have somebody giving you guidance on that? And what are you focusing on in your strength routines? 
Um, I design my own. Uh, I really enjoy doing it, although I have a couple go-to workouts. I don't get bored doing the same thing over and over again. <laughs> but I, I mean, I try and change it up a little bit. So I definitely, I have a heavy lift day. And then I have one day where I try and do more like plyometric type stuff. And then sometimes I'll combine the two. Um, or if I'm just feeling tired, fatigued, not up for strength or plyo, then I have like a ball and band routine that I might do. Um, so right. yeah, but I, I write those workouts and, um, like I said, I change it up. So I've got, got like the step, like the old aerobic step. Um, and I use that for plyometrics. A lot of the exercises I do, I pulled from, um, the Les Mills grit classes I used to teach. Uh, and then what else do I do? Just, you know, that heavy day. Um, it's just, it gives you so much more bang for your buck to get in there and do a heavy lift day. And then the other day do something different. But um, Jay Cherry has, he has um, Running Rewired, his book Running Rewired. He has a lot of routines in his book. So I'll pull a lot of exercises from there to include in, in my routines as well. Um, so Jay Cherry, um, Les Mills. <laughs> um, and then just stuff I, I like to do on my own that I've learned along the way. Got it. Well, that's, that's really good. Uh, uh, talking about this little detour in our conversation. Those are all really good points. Uh, what I take away from what we're talking about right now is two meaningful strength training days are, are plenty, especially when you're doing a lot of high mileage, yeah. um, listening to your body, because there's, there are definitely a couple of theories on the best days to train, to strength train. And you listen to your body and made a change accordingly. And it, it worked out better for you. Um, and third is just that it doesn't have to be complicated to be effective. So I think you made some really good points. Um, yeah. so going back to your, your trajectory, I have to ask, and I'm trying to put together your timeline. It sounds like between 2017 and now you have achieved a lot of things. You ran your first marathon, you qualified for Boston, you OTQ'd, you, um, ran Boston as an elite and you became a coach. Did I cover everything? think so <laughs> that is a really short time I mean, yeah I mean I think um it was a, a pretty short period of time where I've been able to accomplish a lot but I think it all started with um Boston Marathon probably my first one so I've done three one was virtual with the whole COVID thing and that turned into yeah you did 2017 2017 was your first one <laughs> 2018 was your second one and then you must have done 20. 20 virtual, I'm guessing. Thank you. Was probably you looked it up for yes. us. <laughs> <laughs> I did while we were sitting here. So Good. that okay. was your, uh, so the 20- and I will just, I have to say that your, your time in 2017. So you said Steamtown, you finished in about 316 and then you went to Boston in 2017 and you finished in three hours flat. That is a big, I mean, that's a big improvement. I know as your first marathon, you know, we always take off, tend to take off the most amount of time from the, like, maybe first to second marathons, but that's, that's a big improvement. If we can take a little, you know, another little tangent. And how did you, did you change your training in between Steamtown after that first marathon and, and Boston? I know you said you got excited about Boston. You're like, all right, you know, I want to go and I want to return to Boston, but what did you change about your training in between those two marathons to then take off that? That's, that's a big amount of time to finish and then finish in three hours. That's, you know, that's impressive in and of itself. Yeah. And I think you pretty much put your thumb on 
where things really started to change, which is what I was going to say a moment ago um, with that boss, the first Boston is where things really changed because um, my training leading up to that, uh, I was doing some threshold pace miles and just the way that training went, I was like, wow, you know what? I think I can like do a sub three marathon here, you know? So that, that's what I then started gearing up for training for that first Boston. I was like, wow, maybe I could do a sub three, which is funny because actually, if you look at the results, I think my time was three hours and eight seconds, which made me so mad because seven, like, seven seconds, three hours, seven, <laughs> yeah. right, but it would still be eight seconds to break three. Right. I know that's, that's amazing though, because think about it too. Steamtown, I think is an easier course than Boston. So, I mean, you go into your first Boston and take off that much time and get that close to being under three. I, I feel your, I feel it, but that's still, that's, that's, that's impressive. But yes, I, I can imagine that would must be uh, something that, you know, that ate at you after that. Yes. Um, so after that Boston, um, I was really kind of upset that I didn't break three. And I had another marathon I was doing, I guess it's April, May, June. I think it's like two months after that. I had about six to eight weeks to, um, you know, reset or recover and then train, you know, for maybe a week or two and then do a second marathon, which I don't recommend, right? Coaches, we don't recommend two marathons in a season. So maybe I shouldn't talk about this. Um, but anyway, I did this race because it's one I just enjoy. Again, it's in central PA, beautiful scenery. In fact, a bear ran across the road um, about a half mile in front of me. I'm like, wow, look, oh. there's a bear. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, yeah. And so, what race, race is that? Um, it's called God's Country Marathon. Um, and if you look it up and look at the elevation map, it's pretty much an uphill race until mile 18 and then you get some downhills but um it's it's pretty tough I would say there's maybe two miles where or at least one mile but you know two where that incline starts to get pretty steep I think it's actually a, a mountain that you're climbing over I think they call it Denton Hill and um you know going into it I was like thinking in my mind, well, who said I can't break three on this course? Like, you know, I, like, I don't know why mentally I discounted it. Right. You know, because it's an uphill marathon, I just assumed let's just run it for fun. Um, cause I enjoy it. I see my friends at this race. Um, but then something flipped in my head and I'm just like, there's no reason I shouldn't try and go after sub three again. So I tried to, and that actually is where I broke three. So I ran a 257 on that course. <laughs> it was crazy. Um, but then after I ran a 257 there, you know, that's where a friend kind of planted seed of, well, if you can do a 257 there, imagine what you can do on a flat and fast course. And, you know, she kind of turns me on to like, do you know what the OTQ standard is? And I had no idea. I wasn't familiar with it. You know, I just started doing marathons. Um, and then I looked into it and soon that became my next goal. I'm like, 
why not? <laughs> you know, we'll see where training takes you. And I still have that methodology of, you know, do the training, put in the work and see where it takes you and, and let that kind of lead you naturally towards those goals. You know, some of those goals can be, um, you know, within closer reach and some of them, you know, set the bar a little bit higher. Don't limit yourself. And, you know, another thing that really helped me with the, the mindset of, right, like breaking three on an uphill marathon course, like who wants to do that? is the Elite Minds book by Stan Beecham. Awesome book. Um, anyone can apply it to their life, whether they're a runner, they work in the corporate world, you know, no matter what it is. It's, he gives you concepts to basically help you remove the barriers that we, we put in front of ourselves and we don't even realize it half the time. So he introduces these ways of how to just remove that and just, you know, almost like, um, you know, if you think about something, it will come. I forget what they call that. Um, Self-fulfilling uh, prophecy. Something like that. Yeah. Right. So if you really like think it, dream it, um, believe it, mm -hmm. it will happen. Um, and so that's what I tried to do with the whole OTQ, you know, I knew it wasn't, it wasn't going to be easy. I had, you know, I felt like my current races, which leading up to the OTQ, I was running a 251, a 252 fairly, I don't want to say easily, but uh, I guess the right word more so is consistently. Um, so at that point, you know, I only had 10 more seconds per mile. Like what's 10 seconds, you know, <laughs> come on. But it was hard. So it took, um, it took, I guess, uh, I wanted to say two years. It felt like two years, but I think it was more like one year to really kind of get that 10 second improvement per mile. And what did you do um, specifically in addition to shifting your mindset uh, what did you do in terms of your training to eke out 10 more seconds per mile? Stay consistent is the biggest thing. So, you know, you got to stay healthy. Um, you know, when injury sneaks its way in that stops you, uh, you know, whether it's strength training that it stops you from, which can be a huge performance enhancer, or if it's you're running, obviously, if that, if it stops your running, um, you know, it sidelines you and just takes you out of the game. So I've been there. I was there, um, fighting for the start line of my first elite, um, start at Boston for 2018. Cause I got the year right now. Right. <laughs> um, so yeah, injury can be a little bugger. Nobody likes it, but, um, yeah. So when you say stay consistent, you, with your training, just getting into the weeds a little bit, would you say that most of your training was easy mileage? Um, and if you did run high mileage, how much would you say percentage wise was easy and, and how easy was that compared to your speed workouts? Um, <clears throat> at what phase? Because that kind of changed as well. So I guess generally speaking, your philosophy and how you were able to um, for the most part, escape injury and, and get 
and move into such fast um, marathon times within a short period of time. Um, it's just, I think it's really incredible because again, just to emphasize this all happened in five years in your late thirties. And now you're in your mid forties and you really achieved a lot and took a lot of time off and you're, you're very durable. So, um, we just would love to hear a little bit more about what consistency means to you and, and sort of what your running looks like day to day in terms of how much slower you are in your easy runs compared to your faster runs. Yeah. So I, I think it's different in, in every phase. Um, but you know, when I was, when I was kind of striking when the iron was hot, right. Like I started to increase or um, I tried to uh, started running faster and faster with each marathon I ran. In fact, the first one, three sixteen. I think my second was like, like 308 and then I hit Boston for a three hour and then a 257 and then a 252 and then a 251 and then I kind of hung out there for one or two marathons before I hit the OTQ but what really that it was that period of one successful training cycle on top of another um and I think behind that right we know what a training cycle is but behind it it was really and I, I do this with my athletes that I strength train as well is it's really understanding like in your head, what's the intention of this workout? Where should my focus be? And, you know, just really understanding what it's meant to do so that you know how to execute successfully. Right. And I, it's almost like doing a bicep curl. You can do a bicep curl all day long. Right. But if you isometrically contract your bicep while you're doing the curl, and then also while you're lowering your arm, you're working it in two different directions now, and it becomes harder and you probably can't do that all day long. So it's kind of the same theory with, with training when you're out there running, it's, um, the mindset, you need to know how to control yourself, when to control yourself, when to fight for it when to pull back a little bit, you know? Um, and for me, sometimes it was walking away from it too. I mean, there were times where I had to just shut it down and, and go home in tears because, you know, I was distraught that I wasn't hitting paces. I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm in my forties is, is going for a goal, like an OTQ is this going to be something I look back on and, and regret or, you know, is, you know, that's time away from the kids, <laughs> you know? So, um, but, uh, I needed to take some time there to get my head straight. And I think that's where elite minds came in too, to help me determine like, is this a goal I want to go after? And I have to decide that for myself. And if it is a goal I want to go after, then I need to be all in and I need to believe in myself and, if it, if it doesn't happen, you know, I, I need to look at, Hey, you're stronger and you're faster. Even, even if you didn't hit a particular time or number, um, you know, I'm, I'm so glad that it did work out for me because I mean, even though it's, that's easier said than done, right. Walking away and not hitting that time, um, which for some women, that's what happened. And, you know, I just hope that doesn't, you know, keep them from, fighting for another day and going after 
you know, faster time still, but, um, yeah, it's just consistency training cycle, understanding what you're doing, why you're doing it, believing in yourself. And I mean, I, I do think the strength training piece is just a huge portion of it. I can't say enough of how, how fit I was, um, because of the strength and conditioning that I was doing to support my running. And it kept me healthy for, for the most part. I mean, I, I had an injury here or there, but, um, for the most part, I feel like that also helped me be more durable. Like you said before, does that kind of help a little bit more with, um, how that kind of all came together in those short years? Definitely. Yeah. I think you had, you had alluded before to heading into 2018 Boston. Did you have an injury heading into Boston? You said you had said something about, I think, alluding to um, dealing with an injury heading into Boston 2018. So talk to us just a little bit about you had an elite spot for uh, for Boston 2018. So talk to us a little bit about the lead up to Boston. And um, and then we'd love to hear about, you know, what it's like to have an elite start at Boston, especially for 2018 when we had really, really bad weather. And I can imagine that having the um, amenities of an elite start were probably of all the years um, the most welcome that year. So talk to us a little bit about um, 2018 Boston, kind of that build up to 2018 and then that experience of being an elite athlete at Boston. Yeah. So they had hot chocolate for the elites at the church. No, I'm just kidding. Absolutely not. <laughs> just kidding. Um, <laughs> so the lead up, um, really, I just started training um, for that in that cycle. And I remember it was probably December or January, right? That's when most, most people start their build into to Boston. So it was early on in the training cycle. Um, but I, I was still probably getting like a 13 mile run in at that point, you know, um, that was probably about it though. And then I had gone skiing with my kids <laughs> and, uh, it was really strange how it happened, but my daughter and I were trying to switch spots in line for the chairlift. And there was a little bit of a decline where, our skis got caught up and then we started like sliding and I don't even know how it happened, but my knees like caved in to the point where if they continued to cave in, it was going to like tear an ACL or something that shouldn't be torn. I mean, I felt stress, like something was going to pull and pop and, um, my quadriceps just like, I, raced as hard as I could to keep the knees from continuing to go in and like <laughs> yelled for help. I may have cursed slightly <laughs> and someone in line in front of me turned around and realized like what was going on and finally like helped me up. But, um, yeah, that, that just, I thought I twisted my knee, but the next day I went out for a run, you know, I, I laid up on the couch and iced it that night. But then the next day, you know, I went for a run. Things were normal probably for about a week. And then just all of a sudden, I couldn't, I just couldn't run. Like I could walk. I had no pain. But as soon as I went to lift my leg to run, I just had immense pain, like up in the groin and um, hip flexor area, closer to the hip. And 
oh my gosh, it took me out for a lot of time. Um, so I was doing Graston therapy, dry cupping or the cupping, um, art, you know, active release techniques. I did a lot of that soft tissue work, um, almost weekly. It felt like with the chiropractor plus massage and just, um, and then I also had a PT. So I had like all these professionals trying to help me. I was doing PT exercises two to three times a day. They would take me, you know, at least 30 to 45 minutes each time. And when I would complete the PT work, I'd always try to go for that run, just get out and try. I'd still wake up at 5am every morning and do my routine and try to run. And each day I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't, and couldn't until one day, oh my gosh, I might be able to run a little bit today, you know? So it, I just stayed on top of it. Like, that's why I say I fought my way to the start line because literally every day was fight, just trying to relieve that injury. It was, that was probably one of the worst ones I ever had. And um, if you ever have grass done or cupping done, the more damage you have to your muscles underneath, the more um, bruising you're going to see of the skin. Um, it was ugly. <laughs> Man, <laughs> it was a battle. But um, but I came out on top. So I was about two weeks out from Boston start line. And um, that's when I was able to really start running again. And so you know, as people were tapering, I was building up. <laughs> They're like, you know, we're only doing a 60 minute run today. Why are you going 16 miles? And I'm like, well, you know, I need something to stand on because I've been out for so long. So it was interesting, but that was probably the worst one. That was the worst one. How was your mindset getting to the start line, knowing that you didn't have the base that you normally would have? Um, how are you able to have the confidence in knowing that you could go out there and run the marathon, particularly in 2018, such a difficult year? Uh, how did you train your mind during those couple of weeks? And then of course the days leading up to the race to execute a marathon on such little training. Um, <clears throat> good question. I think, you know, I'm, I'm a fighter. So um, I knew whether I ran it or walked it, I was going to get to that finish line. Um, but I also knew, you know, I endurance is my strong point, it's my strength. So, and all the work I had done previously, um, before the injury leading up to it, you know, all that is still in my body somewhere. It may not be as active, um, as it was before, but that work is still in there. And like I said, uh, endurance is a strength of mine and, um, I just keep going. I'm sometimes I relate myself to a farmer. <laughs> this might sound funny, but you know, farmers get up early and then they work all day and they don't really sit down until like, you know, dinner time or later. And, um, I guess I kind of relate myself to a farmer, because my grandfather, who's someone I've always looked up to greatly. You know, he was a farmer when he was a kid and he's kind of the same way, you know, he wakes up, he works all day, nonstop, you know, um, offers his, um, you know, abilities to other people to help with things. And, 
um, just keeps going, going, going like a wind up toy. And then come bedtime, like snap the fingers and they're out. That's me. <laughs> I can fall asleep at the drop of a hat. <laughs> we can both relate. And we, I, I'm speaking for you, Lisa, too. I think, I think we relate very much to what you're saying, especially at the end of the day. Um, I'm very talented. I think you are too, Lisa, at falling asleep at the drop of a hat because yeah. we were wound up all day like you just described. So that's a great analogy. So um, before we talk about your OTQ, just tell us a little bit about what it was like to be an elite in 2018 and what that, what, what kind of advice the runners gave you. And if you had any conversations with the elite runners before taking off uh, down that uh, really interesting and tough Boston. Yeah. Um, so let's see here. Um, it was a fun, it was a fun bus ride to the church. So there's that church there in Hopkinton where um, the elites stay and they do their strides behind on a very short street or alley there. But um, it was a fun bus ride up. I got to sit next to Sarah Sellers before, you know, she became, <laughs> you know, the, the star celebrity there, um, but very talented woman. And uh, it was, it was fun to sit next to her and just have conversations. I mean, you know, we know how talented she is and, and how um, well-versed she is in the running community at this point. But um, back then, uh, I just remember her saying, I got these shoes to wear today. Do you think these are okay? And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> you know, like this girl asking me if her shoes are all right. It turns out to be what, second place? Um, she was second. And, and her, but, her Twitter handle for a while was who is Sarah Sellers because she was really not known. So that's super cool that you of all people were sitting next to her and yeah. had a conversation about her. Um yeah. So we get to the the church and you know we all kind of congregated like you know the I think the um you know super elites, you know your Desland and your Shalane Flan again they had their special spaces and their teammates and and then there were the um sub elites like myself, we kind of congregated and found our space over here. Um, you know, we're all doing our warm up stretches and, and whatnot. And yeah, the weather was bad. So, you know, it was a combination on the drive up of like rain and then we'd see snowflakes. So if it's cold enough that you're seeing snowflakes, you know, if it's raining, it's like really cold. Um, so we get to the church and everyone's talking about like what they're going to wear, um, how they're, you know, what they're doing for race strategy to keep warm. And so, you know, some of the things I picked up were, you know, girls would bring Vaseline. Um, they would put Vaseline on their hands, on their legs and their feet before the race um, to help keep them warm or insulate that way. Another thing I saw too is like in the rain, it's always nice to have some, like a visor or a hat over your, your face. Um, the wind was so bad. So I saw like some girls taking their ear bands, right. And wrapping it around the top of the hat and then around the ears. So they're still getting the ears and the face covering without the problem of the wind, just taking their hat away. Um, you know, and there was also what other stuff that we see there. So I think, um, I mean, this, this sounds kind of terrible, but like I had like a really cheap, um, actually from the dollar store, 
so super cheap. Um, poncho, uh, just a clear poncho, one dollar, and it saved it saved my neck. Like it kept me in the race. So everyone's talking about, oh, this is my throwaway. This is my throwaway. I wore that bag all the way, just about all the way to the finish line. The only point at which I took it off was for my finished photo. <laughs> so do you remember, do you remember that year when, when you turned right on Hereford, that's where all of the trash bags were like, that's what yeah. everybody did. I don't know if you remember, you turned right on Hereford and all of a sudden you're like, what is in the road? And it was hundreds and hundreds of trash bags and ponches because that's what everyone did. They took the right on Hereford. They took off their ponches. They took the left on Boylston. They got their picture. They finished. And so I yeah. still remember that. that. That was the dumping grounds for all. And that's what, like you said, that's people who thought that was going to be their throwaway kept it on the entire race. Yeah. Yeah. Great minds yeah. think alike. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> another thing was the gloves. So my gloves, um, you know, I had planned to toss them to the side at some point, but I ended up wearing them the whole way too. Um, so they were soaking wet, but even though they were wet, I knew that if I took them off, I was going to be even colder. So I just kept them on. Um, it got really difficult to like take the goo out of your pocket and, you know, just anything with the hands became very difficult to do. But the one thing that year that really kept me going to the finish line was my family. So my kids at the time, um, they were there with my mom and my sister and my nephew and my kids, oh, they must've been like five and seven maybe, or maybe even younger. Um, I just know I was worried about them the whole time. And I was like, the faster I get to the finish line, the sooner I'll see them. And then we can all get out of this weather. So I just laser focused on that finish that year. It was nuts. Yeah, I think we'll all always remember that as, as, as quite an experience, as Julie was saying before we started recording that, you know, people would tell us before that, well, you'll have a great story in the end. And we just both decided we didn't, that was a story we really didn't need to need to have in our arsenal of, of stories. Um, so let's, let's fast forward a little bit because we want to get to um, your OTQ and kind of, you know, that, that big breakthrough. Through, breakthrough for you. So take us through, you know, just briefly, um, you know, where you raced your OTQ, what that was like, um, how that race execution went and, you know, how that kind of culminated in, in that big goal that you had set for yourself as your next, you know, that next step up. Yeah. So, um, my OTQ was in Chicago, 2019. Um, <clears throat> and I, I couldn't have asked for a more perfect day, to be honest. Um, training leading up to it was, you know, a little questionable. Um, there were times where, you know, I'd asked my coach like, Hey, um, I'm not really hitting paces. Do you think I can do this? Um, and she's basically like, well, you, sh you need to start hitting your paces. <laughs> right. So, and I like that about her that she's very straightforward and, you know, it just, I kind of feel like it helped me dig a little deeper. Um, I don't and who's know. Who's your coach? That. What's that? Who's your coach? Um, well, at the time it was Dot McMahon. Okay. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. yeah. She's um, fabulous. Um, so she she was really pivotal, I think, in in my success there. So, you know, not a lot of different workouts, very similar workouts week to week, but um they were the important ones, you know, and um just continuing to get that repetition and 
really, I think what it was, was working my strength more than my weakness. Some people always, you know, question, well, what do you work? Do you work the weakness and bring it up? Or do you make your strength stronger? Um, we did a little bit on the weakness area, which is my speed. Um, but a lot in, on my strength, which is the endurance. So, but I would say it was probably a month out from Chicago and I just started hitting paces. Um, she's like, oh, you're starting around the corner. You know, those were her words exactly. You're rounding the corner. I'm like, okay, let's make a full turn. Let's go. <laughs> um, but then I, I got to Chicago and I was in my hotel room. And I'm talking to her on the phone and, you know, I'm just saying to her, like, you know, I've only done, you know, five miles at a time at marathon pace like this. How am I going to do a whole race, 26 miles at that pace when it's a struggle to do five, you know, within a 18 mile run or a 20 mile run. And she's like, because it's the body of work that you've done. And, you know, she, I just, listen to her. You listen to your coach, right? That's why you hire them. <laughs> um, so I did, I listened and, you know, I've all along, as I mentioned before, just trying to really keep a strong mindset and believe in myself. And the next day, you know, it was beautiful weather, no wind. I think it was like 43 degrees actually. Um, so it's a podcast. You guys can't see this, but you guys can see I made a little mouse pad of my, my race. Incredible. That's yeah. Awesome. So that's, my, that's the picture of my Garmin um, from the race. And, you know, this is probably the only race where I actually stopped my Garmin at exactly 26.2. That's pretty good running the tangents to be able to get 26.2. Exactly. Yeah. Well, we had goals that day, you know, so. <laughs> yeah. Right. But, um, yeah, so the pace was 616 and, you know, no faster, no slower, just click it off mile per mile. And that's what I did. You know, I honestly, you know, I feel like God was with me that day. Um, it, it felt so, and I don't want this to come out the wrong way, but it, it felt easy, which makes me know, like helps me know that my training was on point, right? If you run a marathon and you're like, that was pretty easy. You know, you know, your training went well. I felt great. And there's a good lesson in a good lesson in that too, that you just said that running your marathon pace miles in a 18 mile run or whatever on your own felt hard. And you couldn't imagine holding that for an entire marathon. And we get a lot of runners, you know, our runners say to us that that marathon pace workout was so hard. I can't imagine holding that for 26.2. And we say the same thing, you know, that on race day, the adrenaline, just your, your brain is, you know, there are studies that actually show that your brain is willing to undertake more discomfort in, in that kind of environment when you're racing and there's the adrenaline and there's comp competition that your brain is willing to accept more discomfort than you are on your own on a training run. So we always try to say it's the fitness that you're building throughout the entire training cycle. That's going to get you to that adrenaline on race day, then it, 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 you will, you'll, you will be able to do it. So I think it's a really good Example there that even somebody like you who is qualified, you know, has hit an OTQ that you couldn't imagine holding that. And then it all came together on race day. And you really had to put that faith in what your coach was saying that you can do it and you, and you executed it. So I think that's a really good um, illustration of what we try to tell. It's very hard to feel 
to ever go into a race feeling like, oh yeah, I could hold this for, you know, 26, this pace for 26.2 miles. Yeah. Yeah. I like when you come away from a race and you surprise yourself. Right. So, but I, I totally agree when I, when I race, it's so different from training, you know, I, I have something extra that comes on, on race day. Um, but really, you know, I'm, I'm pretty good about pacing. So I think that that really helped too. And that I could really maintain that pace. Um, you know, and there was that day, I mean, I'm telling you, there was a swarm, there was a crowd of people going for it. Um, the crowd was so big that when we would come by water stations, I couldn't even get my hands on water. There were guys in the group who were handing cups of water across you know, we were probably 10 feet wide, 20 feet long, just this swarm of people who you knew were going for an OTQ that day. And I decided that group, um, you know, they always say run with pack, run with people. It, it pulls you along. Right. But there was just, they were just a, like a, a, a hair too fast like just a second too fast. And I'm like, I don't want that to bite me in the end. So I thought about it probably for a good mile or so. And then I'm, I'm going to just scale back and I'm going to hang back here. I like running on my own kind of anyway amongst, you know, the crowd and then I can still get my water. <laughs> but um, there was another girl that ended up breaking off the pack too. And she came back with me and, um, you know, we had chatted briefly and I was like, they're just a hair too fast. And, uh, she's like, yeah, I agree. So, you know, we both kind of ran the rest of the race together, which was awesome. I had the split written on my arm, you know, every mile she would look over and I'd be like, yep, we're on point. Keep going. You know, obviously we're not going to talk too much during the race, but, um, it was nice to have someone there. And I feel like helping her helped me as well. Um, so just, you know, looking over and seeing her, you know, being worried, like, oh, are we going to do it? And I'm like, relax, we're, we're good. We're on pace, we're on point. And then I told her the plan, um, like come mile 20, you know, at that point, if you can go faster, that's, that's the time to race, you know, and, and get after it. If you can, I still how I felt at mile 20 though, I still felt like Ooh, six miles is a lot to go. So I kind of maintained the pace probably until like the last three miles. And then I'm like, all right, well, I, I can do this. So I just pushed a little bit more. I think I ran maybe like a six ten and a six eleven in the last couple miles there, but um, yeah, it felt good. It was a good day. <laughs> really. It's really impressive. And you mentioned water stop. So we always like to ask, um, our marathon, our guests, what was your nutrition plan? Yeah. So stay on top of it from the start. I think I even had a gel at the start that day. Um, at least popped one open, you know, probably carried it with me for the first mile, but my race strategy is always pretty much the same, um, which is every four miles, uh, or every 30 minutes, um, to take a gel. So 100 calories, about 22 grams of carbs, and then stop at every water stop, every single water stop. I don't, I don't pass any. If I had a gel, I'll follow that with a water. Um, and if I haven't, then I'll have Gatorade. 
And, you know, I try and get at least two swigs of the Gatorade, if not three or four. We we love what you're saying because you're speaking our language. This is, this is what we are always trying to tell our runners. And a lot of runners are surprised initially by how much food um, one should be eating. And um, you are a small person and you are consuming 22 grams of carbs every 30 minutes. And that's worth noting. Um, And would you share with us what you typically have for breakfast before a marathon? Oh, absolutely. Um, I've found so a couple different things over the years, but what I've settled on is pancakes. I love pancakes before. Um, Pancakes, I have a can't beat me smoothie from Shalane Flanagan's um, Run Fast, Eat Slow book. So I have those before speed workouts too. So I have those like twice a week, but, um, before a race, I'll have that smoothie pancakes, uh, generation. You, I, so I, I do a lot <laughs> generation. You can, um, I have about 45 minutes before. And then also I sip on noon water. Um, and I think that covers it. Yeah. I usually have quite a bit. Oh, and coffee. <laughs> Thank you. Yep. All right. So now that you achieved your OTQ, tell us what it was like to be in Atlanta um, and run that race. I kind of wish I could go back, to be honest with you, because it was like, it was kind of like pinch me as, is this really happening? You know what I mean? It didn't, it didn't seem real. Um, It was, but it was great. I mean, it was still great at the same time. I mean, just to be there and see like as you're checking into the hotel and see all the you know other more popular elites um fill into the lobby and you're like oh wow look who that you know look who's here and you know you kind of want to go around and say can I get your autograph but like you know you're not that you're one of them but you know they might look at you as like "Eh." I don't I don't know either way I still got my picture with um Kara Goucher in the elevator um and Alephine as well, um, who I didn't know. I didn't, because, you know, obviously I'm not up front. I didn't see who won. Um, I didn't know she had won. And, and Kara's like, well, don't you want your picture with Alephine too? And I was like, oh, I wonder if she is the winner today. <laughs> like, you know, I, I just finished. I didn't know what was going on. Um, so I'm like, sure. But I, I got my picture with her as well. Um, Jared Ward, I love him. Uh, he's just, you know, He's great, you know, seems laid back, very um, personable person. So um, it's all Meb, a couple different people there. So it was just, it was a nice event to see all of these greats come together and, you know, just see how everyone interacts. But the hospitality was just tremendous. You know, we, we got there, my family and I, and there was a golf cart waiting at the top of the escalators from the subway to help us take our bags to the hotel. There were stickers all over on the ground to say, you know, um, athletes, you know, what direction we should go. And it was just um, very accommodating. It was really cool. But I think it's awesome wow. that they had it at, in Atlanta with the Olympic rings. Right. So that um, I felt like was pretty special because, you know, that was my first one. 
possibly my only one. So I, I don't think there could have been a better place to have it than right there at the, the park with the Olympic rings. And they lit the torch that day. So they had the, the torch that sits behind like all the hotels and such. And the last part of the marathon kind of goes out there and turns and comes back. So we go around the torch and they're like, we haven't had this lit since the, oh, what was it? Like the Olympic? 96. 1996. Yep. So yeah, um, that was pretty cool. Nice and special too. That's amazing. So, so that was also to, to us, at least or in my mind, that seems like almost a different um, era because that was right before COVID hit and right before kind of our worlds changed. Mm -hmm. So what have you been up to the past couple of years and what is your, like, what, 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 what's your trajectory look like now? Like, what are you planning to do now? But what, what have you done the past couple of years while we've all been um, on lockdown and um, kind of out of the, out of the, you know, our races all got canceled. So what, what have you been up to? Yeah, it's, you know, I have to be honest, it's, it's been crazy. I'm not in the shape that I was before. Um, but working on getting back there for sure. Um, I think when, when COVID first started, you know, I was doing my strength workouts in the garage and I was doing my runs and I was trying to motivate people to say, Hey, you know, dig deep, this is going to pass. And if you're doing your workouts and doing your strength, you're going to come out Rocky style on the other end, you know, and that was, maybe a few months into it, not knowing we're going to be in it for years. <laughs> I think there's only a certain amount of time that you can really um, hold on to that hunger for years with races canceled and such. And, you know, my runs all solo, solo runs. Um, I mean, I, I've done some with the groups, um, you know, over the, the period of time there, but um, mostly solo and, you know, that's a way that training has changed too. I know um, you guys had asked before, like how has training changed over time? And, I, you know, it was at that one time running with the group and running with people. And I think one of the hardest things, quite honestly, right now is just trying to find someone that I can really train consistently with, who is my pace or, you know, or a little faster, or a little slower, so we can kind of push and pull. Um, it's just so hard to find someone with a similar schedule and drive for similar goals and, you know, have that, you know, similar paces and such, but, um, you know, always looking for them. So if anyone wants to train with me, let me know. <laughs> All right, so everyone hear that. It's a call from Karen in Pennsylvania is looking for a training partner. We can be yeah. like a like a dating site, but instead training partner facilitator. Yeah. Yeah. No, it is it is tough because you know, I have a, a lot of good friends in that group. Um and I still would like to say I run with them. I do try to get out for runs with them when I can still. Um and, you know, there's hard workers and fast runners in that group too, but, you know, um, I think I'm a little bit more tilted on the crazy side of the scale and not many people are on that side of the scale. So it's hard to find more crazy to go with me. <laughs> We're all a little crazy, I think, but, um, you, you did do something really incredible though, during this time period, uh, you, you ran the JFK 50 and you, you ran really well. So what was that like for you? And was that one of the benefits of running through the pandemic um, was trying something new like that? 
Uh, absolutely. Actually, good point. I, I kind of lost track of that. So, you know, coming out of Atlanta, you know, when that was over, I'm kind of like, now what, you know, and then we go into the COVID thing. Um, and I was like, well, this is my chance because when I was training for the OTQ, I stayed off all the trails. I wasn't doing any trail running. It was always something I wanted to do. So this was actually the silver lining for me with COVID. So I started doing a lot of trail running. I, I hired a, a trail coach. So I switched from, you know, more road running and marathon focus to let's see what coach for um, trail running would do for me. And, um, you know, I worked with Aaron Saft in North Carolina, real good guy, great guy, great coach. Um, really cares about his athletes. And, you know, I, I love the training. It felt so different from the training that I was doing before. Um, it was more relaxed. You know, I'm like, when are the workouts going to come? And he's like, well, you are kind of doing the workouts. You know, so it's, it was a, definitely a lot different. It was more relaxed. And once I, I learned to accept that um I was good with it but I think up front he's like why don't you settle down a little bit this is good for you you know I probably came in just hot and heavy ready to go and I'm like oh I feel like I'm losing my speed but it was just a lot different of training um and then you know the closer you get to your trail race the more time you're spending on the trails um but I enjoyed it so it, it took me um so I trained with him. I actually did a 50 mile, my first 50 miler in the spring. Um, and then I broke two of my fingers at that race. That wasn't fun. But um, then I kind of over the summer transitioned back to marathoning because um, I felt like I was losing my speed. So I wanted to do more of that lactate threshold stuff. And I missed the roads too. So um, I started training for a fall marathon. In fact, I was going to do Boston, um, pulled out of that. Um, to do a smaller race because of COVID and just wanted to do something smaller is more comfortable with. Which um, is wine so did, glass. What's that? Yeah. So I did wine glass, wine glass marathon. And then after that, I did a, a trail race that I enjoyed doing at the 50K. And I felt like it was a nice transition from marathon to 50K to 50 miler. Like I just seemed to get better, better, best. So like JFK, I felt amazing. Um, and I think like looking back on it, the first third. So if you break that race up into three parts, you've got the trail, you've got the rail trail, and then you have the roads. And that's how I broke it up in my mind. And like the trails through the woods, I took it super easy. I mean, like I was probably too relaxed on the trails. In fact, if I run it again, this year, I'd probably be a little bit more aggressive there. Looking back, I was just too relaxed. Um, but then I did, uh, you know, on the, the rail trail, I had in my mind, like, you know, that's flat, pretty fast. That's a marathon, which is kind of my expertise at the moment. So I had in my mind to really kind of get my groove there and just start to pick people off. And that's exactly what I did. People just started coming back to me and I just picked them off one at a time. 
got to the end of the trail and then you know that's I love roads I love rolling roads too and so that's when I got to that piece and just tried to enjoy the countryside and um, scenery and just you know really kind of work hard just I think it's only what six miles on the road or something like that so I'm like it's just a six mile run let's go do it (laughs) Um, and you know it felt great and I knew it was hilly but um even those hills felt good and I was really working that pace down I think even faster than I was when I was on the rail trail piece so I just started to really kind of continue to motivate myself the more the race went on and um finished nice and strong I think my last mile was my fastest mile so it was a great race felt good about it a lot of fun you did fantastic. You were, I think, a uh, seventh woman overall. Was I? I, I don't think know if you I were seventh or ninth. Hang on. Ninth? Oh, you have your award behind you. Hold on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, I was. I'm seventh. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So um, it felt good. I mean, there were a lot of women in the race, but we're also in Atlanta. Um, so you had some really good talent there. Um, so yeah, to come in seventh. That's that's a, it was a stacked field. This year's JFK was a really stacked women's field, especially. So to be seventh, that's that's amazing. So you you mentioned you're planning to go back. So are we are we now heading into the the 50, 50 miler? Um, you know, starting to 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 take up that discipline. I'm not sure about taking up the discipline, but <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I would like to sign up for it again. Just it was a fun race. I I enjoyed it. It went really well. So, you know, we tend to like those races we do well at and repeat them until we have a horrible experience. And then, uh, then we find a new one. Going back to the crazy part, many people would say that somebody says a 50 mile race is, is fun, especially JFK, which, you know, that first part on the trail is actually very hard. That's a hard, you know, so to your approach, I think of taking that easy and then, and then kicking it in once you got off that, I think was probably a smart one, but, um, but again, you don't hear many people say that it's fun. So that's great that, you know, when you find something fun to, to keep pursuing it for sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, we are, um, have, it's been so great to get to talk to you and, and, you know, we keep going back to, um, you know, the reason we asked you to come on the podcast in the first place is, you know, a, a master's athlete who keeps achieving, uh, you know, new and keeps, keeps improving and keeps setting new goals and achieving them and staying healthy and staying strong. And I think Julie alluded it to it earlier, you know, you've kind of lived your life and, and, and your, especially your achievements over the past you know, six, five, six years with, um, you know, believing that you can listening to your body, incorporating strength, making sure you're staying healthy with your nutrition and your recovery, you know, figuring out how to listening to your intuition and, you know, figuring out that what works for you in terms of how you space out your workouts, what workouts you're doing, what races you're doing. Um, that's, so that is, you know, that's a lot of the fundamentals that we adhere to as, as runners ourselves and as coaches. Um, so it's been great to get to talk to you and we can't wait to follow your trajectory and, and see what, what's up next. But, um, thank you so much for sharing, sharing your experiences and your, your journey, um, and your knowledge and, and advice with us. We really appreciate it. And we know that our listeners, um, will, will take a lot away from this as well. Yeah, we'll, we'll link to the book you recommended in our show notes and also um, let our listeners know where they can find you. Sounds great. I appreciate you guys having me on today. It was a lot of fun. And, um, you know, if you have any other questions that you 
want to ask, just let me know. But yeah, I had a great time. Thank you again for having me. Thank you so much, Karen. It was great to meet you and good luck with all of your running. Take care. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Run Farther and Faster Boston Marathon podcast. We want to give a special thanks to our editor, Aaron Bryant. And if you enjoyed this episode and enjoy listening to our podcast, please share it with others and please leave a review if you haven't done so already on iTunes. Thanks for listening and have a great week.